Inductees into the South Dakota Hall of Fame come from all backgrounds of life, but one thing they all have in common is their daily pursuit of their dreams. In this podcast, you will hear stories of the legacy of these inductees and how these dream chasers have impacted South Dakota in meaningful ways. Here's your host, Miles Beacom. And today I'm with Christine Hamilton, Hall of Fame inductee of 2016. Welcome, Christine. Thank, Thank you, you for Miles. joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about your youth growing up and uh, some of the successes you had as uh, a young person as well, some of the challenges as well? Sure, I'd be happy to. Thank you for having this conversation. So I grew up in Kimball, which is, uh, at the time I was growing up, a town of about a thousand people. And uh, I was an only child, also an adoptee. I was adopted at birth. And uh, my parents were quite a bit older than my, uh, the parents of kids in my class. So that was uh, a little bit challenging, but then I didn't really know any different, right? I didn't know uh, except by kind of hanging out with them. But in any case, my parents felt very strongly that I should be exposed to a bigger world. And so they gave me all kinds of lessons and opportunities for travel and uh, ultimately sent me uh, to Arizona and Connecticut to school, uh, in high school, and then on to college on the East Coast. So it was uh, with practicing for lessons and that type of thing. It was, and no siblings, it was a little bit of uh, a challenge to, to kind of um, find my place. And I would say that uh, the good thing that happened with that was that band became very important. So I played the flute in the band, in the marching band, and the pep band, and the concert band. And uh, that was just a great opportunity to interact informally with, uh, with my friends. When you, Christine, when you went off to high school and you left South Dakota, was that tough to leave your friends in Kimball, or was it something you were lo really looking forward to just to broaden your horizon? You know, it was tough. I think any time that we leave what we're familiar with, it's a challenge, and it seems overwhelming to be in a new place, new people, entirely um, by yourself. So yes, it was, and, and the lesson there is that we have great opportunities to develop re resilience and growth, and by almost just force of will, I'm going to do this, because at the time I felt like there was no other choice, uh, I'm, I'm going to do this. And that mindset made it possible to make friends in you know, really everywhere I've been, just by being open to new opportunities and new people. Yeah, that's an incredible challenge of being taken out of that comfort zone. And uh, it's, it, I'd say it's paid big dividends for you because it forced you to be more assertive in meeting people. Uh, and again, taking you out of that comfort zone where everything was good and you thought you were, uh, things were in place for you. And then having that kind of rocked and saying, okay, we're going to go someplace else and build new friends, new relationships, probably a new style of learning as well. You know, it really helped me develop a sense of adventure and uh, an excitement around learning new things, meeting new people, because I learned early on that my way wasn't the only way. And so it exposed me to lots of different points of view. Uh, and I found out that that could be fun. It could be a big adventure. Oh, great. 
How about college? What did you do for college then? So I continued on the East Coast at Smith College and uh, majored in philosophy because I was kind of at that time in my life where I was wondering what is this all about uh, and, and wanted to know what other, what other writers had thought about that and what they'd come up with. And uh, my mother, having been uh, one of the first women attorneys in South Dakota, dearly wanted me to go to law school. And I was able to kind of do what I wanted to do with my curiosity and then also kind of convince her that uh, philosophy making logical arguments would be a good background for law school. Did you go to law school then? You know, I did. I, I started law school on the West Coast, and I just found that it was not a good fit for me. And I, I went one semester, and then I took a couple of years off and decided that business school would be a much better fit for me. Was that a tough conversation with your mother then? Uh, yes. Who really wanted you to go to law school? Uh, but you two were able to communicate and come to an agreement. And That's right. It, it was very tough. Um, because it really had been her dream and that also was the important point it was her dream not not my dream and so i had to learn how to stick up for my dream yeah. and that you see a lot of times where kids think that they have to follow their parents dream and, and do different things and if, if they just communicate more of what their dreams and what their goals are to their parents as well uh, they can come up with a compromise uh, so uh, kudos to you to doing that. Uh, that's a very difficult thing to do, uh, but sometimes it's needed to be done as well. Well, I think that dreams are very broad. We tend to think of them as specific and one set of goals and let's dream this dream and this is success. And there are many ways to get your dream and there are many ways to work on your dream. That's what I found out. And so it doesn't have to be a straight path. Yeah. My kids continue to ask me, Dad, we just don't know what we're going to do in life and I said don't worry I'm not sure what I'm going to do when I grow up either because uh, things do change and those dreams change uh, so good how about after college then so after college one of the first things I did uh, my parents had gifted me some land in when I turned 21 and again when I turned 22 and you know I just thought that was great there was a, there was a, an expectation that we didn't discuss in detail that at some point I would come back to South Dakota and you know, continue the family legacy that had been built over two or three generations. And uh, you know, it was me trying to try my wings, I guess, and uh, what I promptly did was I mortgaged some of that land and invested in a company in Indiana. So kind of the beginnings of my entrepreneurial roots. And, uh, spent a lot of time trying to develop that company. It was an ag company, agricultural uh, focus, and it was a seed treatment process, a patented process, and it just, it didn't work, and I lost the money, and I felt absolutely terrible, just terrible, because I had let myself down, and uh, so I decided from that that I would uh, go to business school and I would try to learn about why the things happened the way they did and what I could do better the next time so that that wouldn't happen again. And that's, uh, when I looked around, we had a house in Tucson. So the University of Arizona uh, had just started an entrepreneurship program. 
And uh, so I enrolled in that. And as a focus in an MBA program, it was in addition to finance or accounting or marketing. So I spent uh, a year writing the various chapters of a business plan for the company that failed so I could understand it better. Were you able to understand all the aspects that went wrong with that company? You know, I did. I learned a lot. And I think also as part of growing up, I found out that it's the people. It, it really is important to develop how we uh, interact with people, how we manage people in a project, all of that, what teamwork is, what that looks like. And you know, it was just not the right people and not at the right stage of their development to move it forward. You know, what, what a great example, Christine, where you were involved with the business that failed and you did the extra work to understand why it failed. Where a lot of people, if they fail a business, they think, I'm a failure. And you took it around and you spun it and you said, okay, what can I learn from this for the next time I go into an opportunity in business to make sure that that doesn't fail? Uh, so it's a great way just to twist that around and uh, make yourself stronger as well because you learn from failure probably more than winning. Uh, so, and you've taken advantage of that. So what was the next project you took on? Well, let me just go back to that just uh, for a minute. I did feel like a failure. I felt for like a failure every day for several months. And I was telling my grandson last night, you know, it's just so important to keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep persevering and keep trying and put in the hard work. It's not going to come easy. It's, it's as much as we would wish it would be a magical thing that would drop out of the air. It, it really takes a lot of perseverance. Mm -hmm. Oh, it does. And the communication, the people around you uh, are, as you said, are key, are key to make sure you have that right team. That's right. That's right. So what was the next project that you were able to take some of this and learn from it, and what happened with that with your next business? Well, the next business, uh, I had been spending about six years coming back and forth to South Dakota. My parents were elderly, and it had some health challenges, and so I, I kind of had a, a dual path where I was in Arizona part of the time and then back in South Dakota, and during that time, I would... I worked with a woman who was a consultant in, in business in Tucson and did projects with her. And um, at the same time, tried to take on some of the role of leadership at the farm and ranch. So I came back and kind of helped my parents manage through their health challenges. And um, that became a commitment to stay here. And so I was here full time starting in 1994. From being in the East Coast and then Arizona, did you ever think you'd be back in South Dakota full-time? I think it was kind of an unspoken dynamic that uh, you know I had to address some way that what was going to happen with the farm and ranch if I didn't come back. And my parents were very committed to operating the business as well as being owners. So it really didn't seem like renting the land out, so to speak, would be a good option, at least not at first. And so as I continued the business part of it and the operations, I found that there are lots of opportunities, just like there are in any business. I mean, there's not one set of opportunities that's unique to a particular path. I think we can learn, for example, we can learn leadership in many different settings. 
whether it's agriculture or IT or biotech, whatever it is. So talk about a couple of those businesses that you were part of starting as well. I think that's important for people to understand. Well, one of the initiatives I was very excited about was an opportunity that other states uh, were kind of developing examples in, and that was kind of an investment opportunity for farmers and ranchers. So when I came back to South Dakota, value-added ag opportunities were being talked about, and how do we participate in the next stage of the supply chain? Um, and of course, we were convinced that that's where the return would be because as producers, as you know, in a commodity business, the margins are very thin. Mm -hmm. And so it became attractive for a while to do uh, investable opportunities in the next stage or the, the following stage of uh, a supply chain for a particular product. So for example, in Kansas, there was a winter wheat project that had to do with um, you know, working with with bakers to, to create artisan bread and that type of thing where the producers would also participate in the end product as an investment. So um, another point I'd like to make is that none of these things are done by me alone, right? I mean, everything requires partners, teamwork, lots of hard work, and working well with others, you know? And, and I was fortunate that there were other people who were interested in doing this type of project in South Dakota at the time. And so we did form a group and we had at one point about 350 members who paid an annual membership fee. And then that pool of money was used to engage the services of an executive director to find investable opportunities that then the members could either play or pass. And so we, we started uh, three different projects and unfortunately, uh, you know, the really, the, the fortunate thing was that people didn't bet the farm, right? Mm -hmm. Producers didn't bet the whole farm in any one of these projects. But we learned a lot. And, and unfortunately, the value-added opportunities um, that we pursued did not work out so well. They didn't turn out to be long-term successes. So more lessons, right? Yes. And you just remained upbeat, and I'm sure you felt terrible when they did not work, but the lessons you learned from each of those continue to pay dividends into the future. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, the company that you started down in Vegas, uh, tying into the uh, meat processing and, and the restaurants and, and such? Well, and that's a good example of how you just never know, and, and one thing leads to another. So that was uh, a, a business in Las Vegas is a meat wholesale company, and it evolved because of people that I met in one of the projects from the previous endeavor. So, you know, relationships matter, and uh, continuing to persevere matters. So that became uh, an opportunity that we developed, thinking that um, Cisco and U.S. Foods were the big distributors in Las Vegas. So there would be an opportunity to be kind of a nimble uh, niche market uh, company to deliver product to customers in Las Vegas. And we've been there since 2006. And we've, we came through the pandemic. Uh, we're back now stronger than ever. And it's just been a, a really interesting opportunity. And along the way, you know, speaking of partnerships, I brought in 
two of the folks I'd been working with. And um, so now I'm 50-50 partners with them. Oh, great. Uh, so now not only did you survive the pandemic, but also the recession uh, in the 2008 to 10 timeframe too, which really put a damper on things and then the pandemic behind it. Uh, so that's pretty impressive to be able to overcome those two real challenges in, economically. You know, the power of working with others who have a similar goal and like-minded uh, mindset and a similar value system, really, really critical. Mm. How about the company that you have in Sioux Falls? Can you talk a little bit about that? I would love to. Um, so SAB Biotherapeutics was, uh, began life as Hematech in the early 2000s. Uh, and my husband and I have been involved in one way or another since the beginning. And there have been several chapters. The most recent chapter began in 2014. And that's when we kind of opened up the opportunity to local investors. And it has been just an amazing experience. It's, it's great to see the technology develop, the IP develop, and to see the opportunities um, start to be met. Mm -hmm. And that's with having, I'm not sure, pure cattle or cows and or clean cows that are really kept in a isolated area and really being able to use their not blood but their antibodies antibodies for potential use in humans down the road and, and that's just an incredible when you think of that and you, you look at your background from uh, playing the flute in the band to uh, being on the ranch to uh, looking at law school and business school and starting these companies and then now you're looking at something that could really benefit people around the world with vaccines and things down the road. You know it's a big dream and uh, it's been something where we've had to, to persevere and we do make polyclonal, human polyclonal antibodies in bovine blood to be used as a therapeutic to treat infectious diseases. So it's kind of a bookend thing where we have uh, vaccines on one end and treatment on the other end. So not everyone will be vaccinated and sometimes there are escapes where even if folks are vaccinated against the flu, for example, we might still get the flu. So hopefully we would get uh, a milder version of it. But if it needs to be treated, we would have uh, a treatment for that. And we are in clinical trials now both for influenza and for COVID. Well, congratulations there and thank you with that as well. I mean, it's amazing when you look at your background, uh, Christine, and, and the scope and the width of it. And like you said, I think it's uh, the, the partners that you and relationships that you built over time. Uh, but when you were in high school and college, did you ever think you'd be doing what you are today? I had no idea. And I just think that's a great message for kids today. I think they need to know what their plan is going to be. And here you're just open with it. You need to be open and look at the opportunities that are out there. That are out there. And when they knock, you need to answer that door. I think that, you know, to go out with an open mind and an open heart and explore the opportunity sincerely with lots of hard work, you just never know where it's going to go. Yeah, that's right. Christine, what do you think has been your biggest challenge in life? Uh, 
continuing to try again, even after failures. That, that is uh, probably the biggest challenge, the hardest thing to do, and ultimately the most rewarding. Because if we keep working at something, we do make progress. Okay, what do you think has been your biggest accomplishment? I believe my biggest accomplishment has been to work on projects with like-minded people, to choose how to spend my time in a way that others are attracted to the same mission and the same goals and have similar values. And you know, I have folks at Christensen Landing Cattle who have been with me 25 years. And that is very rewarding. And you don't hear about that a lot of times. And it shows that you're treating the people right. And uh, uh, they see the value in the partnership as well. So that's impressive. What would you say to the youth of the state to when they're looking at chasing their dreams and they have challenges ahead, excuse me, ahead of them? What would you say to them? Never give up. Keep working. Keep moving forward. Even if it feels like it's overwhelming and it, there's nowhere to go, just figure something out, keep working at it. There's always a workaround. And you mentioned before, probably one of the biggest things you learned early was the communication between your parents and yourself. Uh, if you had disagreement on what you were going to do, if it was law school or whatever, but be able to communicate and so both people could uh, understand the other side's uh, point of view. And that is so important in business, is to be able to bring in people not only like-minded, but people that aren't afraid to raise their hand and challenge you or you challenge them, uh, because that's how the, the organization continues to get better as well. Well, that's right. It's, it's a process, and, and it's friendships, business friendships, and, and sharing goals, and just being willing to work through whatever it is. Christine, you've been on the... East Coast, been in Arizona, uh, you've been around the world. Why do you come back to South Dakota? Well, my heart is here, and particularly in South Central South Dakota, my roots are here in South Dakota, and there in particular, place where my soul feels at home. Great. And, and I think with technology today, we, we realize that we can compete with anyone, and we don't have to be on the East Coast or West Coast or down South or in another country. Uh, we can do everything that we'd like from South Dakota and the opportunities just continue to open up and, and thank you for opening up a lot of those opportunities for South Dakotans. Well, it's, uh, it's really been rewarding for me. So it's, it's really, I'm grateful for all of those opportunities. Well, Christine, thank you very much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the South Dakota Hall of Fame and these dream chasers, visit our website at www.sdexcellence.org and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.